My friends, as I've noted, much of today's Republican Party is treacherous and treasonous. The question is, why hasn't the Democratic Party been able to fight back? Why are we facing midterm elections that most political observers predict Democrats will lose, relinquishing control over the House and Senate to the Republicans? Today, I want to talk about the largest failure of the Democratic Party in recent years. So large, it amounts to an abdication. It's the Democrats' loss of the working class. As Democratic pollster Stanley Greenberg concluded after the 2016 election, Democrats don't have a white working class problem. They have a working class problem, which progressives have been reluctant to address honestly or boldly. The fact is that Democrats have lost support with all working class voters across the electorate. The working class used to be the bedrock of the Democratic Party. What happened? Democrats had occupied the White House for 16 of the 24 years before Trump's election, and in that time scored some important victories for working families. The Affordable Care Act, an expanded earned income tax credit, and the Family Medical Leave Act, for example. I take pride in being part of a Democratic administration during that time. But look, I'd be lying to you if I didn't also share my anger and frustration from those years of battling inside the White House and battling corporate Democrats in Congress. I often failed. In fact, on this page, I offer you a video clip Not in the spirit of I told you so, but really as a way of sharing my frustrations and fears from that time. The reality is that even when we were in charge, Democrats did not change the vicious cycle of wealth and power that had rigged the economy for the benefit of those at the top and undermined the working class. In the first two years of the Bill Clinton and Barack Obama administrations, Democrats controlled both houses of Congress just as the first two years of the Biden administration. Yet both Clinton and Obama used their political capital to pass free trade agreements without providing millions of blue-collar workers who consequently lost their jobs the means of getting new ones that paid at least as well. After Clinton got NAFTA and China's ascension to the World Trade Organization, the wages and economic security of manufacturing workers across America were undermined. Clinton also deregulated Wall Street, which led directly to the financial crisis of 2008, in which Obama bailed out the biggest banks and bankers. But Obama did nothing for homeowners, who, as a result of the crisis, owed more on their homes than their homes were worth. He didn't demand that the banks that were bailed out refrain from foreclosures, nor did Obama demand an overhaul of the banking system. Instead, he allowed Wall Street to water down attempts at re-regulation. Both Clinton and Obama stood by as corporations hammered trade unions, the backbone of the working class. They failed to reform labor laws to allow workers to form unions with a simple up or down majority vote, or even to impose meaningful penalties on companies that violated labor protections. At the same time, both allowed antitrust enforcement to ossify enabling large corporations to grow far larger and major industries to become more concentrated. Both Clinton and Obama depended on big money 
from corporations and the wealthy. Both of them turned their backs on campaign finance reform. In 2008, Obama was the first presidential nominee since Richard Nixon to reject public financing in his primary and general election campaigns. And he never followed up on his re-election promise to pursue a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission, the 2010 Supreme Court opinion, opening wider the floodgates to big money in politics. Throughout these years, Democrats drank from the same campaign funding trough as Republicans, big corporations, Wall Street, and the very wealthy. Quote, business has to deal with us whether they like it or not because we're the majority, crude Democratic Representative Tony Coelho, head of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee in the 1980s, when Democrats assumed they would continue to run the House for years. Coelho's Democrats soon achieved a rough parity with Republicans in contributions from corporate and Wall Street campaign coffers. But the deal proved to be a Faustian bargain. Democrats became financially dependent on big corporations and Wall Street. By the 2016 election, the richest one-hundredth of one percent of Americans, a tiny group, 24,949 bizarrely wealthy people, accounted for a record-breaking 40% of all campaign contributions. That same year, corporations flooded the presidential, Senate, and House elections with $3.4 billion in donations. Labor unions no longer provided any countervailing power. They contributed only $213 million. That came to one union dollar for every 16 corporate dollars. Now, Joe Biden has tried to regain the trust of the working class, But Democratic lawmakers, most obviously and conspicuously Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, have blocked measures that would have lowered the costs of child care, of elder care, of prescription drugs, health care, education. They've blocked raising the minimum wage. They've blocked labor law reforms. Yet neither Manchin nor Sinema, nor any other Democrat who has failed to support Biden's agenda, has suffered any consequences. Why does Manchin still hold leadership positions in the Senate? Why is Manchin's West Virginia benefiting from the discretionary funds doled out by the administration? Why hasn't Biden done more to rally the working class and build a coalition to grab back power from the emerging oligarchy? Well, presumably for the same reasons Clinton and Obama didn't do this. The Democratic Party still prioritizes the votes of the so-called suburban swing voter. They were called soccer moms in the 1990s and affluent politically independent professionals in the 2000s. These people supposedly determine electoral outcomes. And, as I've noted, the party depends on big money for its campaigns. But that means that the Democratic Party has turned its back on the working class. In 2016, Trump galvanized millions of blue-collar voters living in communities that never recovered from the tidal wave of factory closings. He promised to bring back jobs, revive manufacturing, get tough on trade and immigration. We can't continue to allow China to rape our country, and that's what they're doing, he said 
at one rally. In five, 10 years from now, you're going to have a workers' party, a party of people that haven't had a real wage increase in 18 years that are angry. These are Trump's words. Speaking at a factory in Pennsylvania in June 2016, he decried politicians and financiers who had betrayed Americans by taking away from the people their means of making a living, living and supporting their families. Now, of course, this was just rhetoric. Once in office, Trump did nothing for the working class, instead giving giant tax cuts to big corporations and the wealthy. But he sounded as if he was on the side of working class Americans. That year, in 2016, Trump won, he won 58% of the vote in counties with the poorest 10% of the population. His share was only 31% of the richest counties. Let me be clear, the most powerful force in American politics today is anti-establishment fury at a rigged system. There's no longer a left or a right there's no longer a moderate center. The real choice is either Republican authoritarian populism or Democratic progressive populism. Democrats cannot defeat authoritarian populism without an agenda of radical democratic reform, an anti-establishment movement. Democrats must stand squarely on the side of democracy against oligarchy. They must form a unified coalition of people of all races, genders, and classes to unrig the system. Trumpism is not the cause of our divided nation. It is the symptom of a rigged system that was already dividing us.